all the different events and the summer olympics are usually a little bit more exciting to me than the winter olympics are but i was watching some curling the other day and some uh different winter sports and i don't know what the one is where they get into the little tube and they go around the track is that like bobsledding or something uh whatever it is it was kind of cool to see them go around the track and i was thinking about just all the olympic sports and swimming and i was doing some research on the oldest uh female marathon runner just some different olympic sports and her name is harriet thompson Now i'm not a runner obviously but she at age 92 became the oldest marathon runner in the history of the world she ran all 26.2 miles at age 92 now what's interesting about that is she started running this marathon back in 1999 and she did that from 1999 all the way up until 2017 when she finally passed away. She would complete the marathon. I think she completed it in a time of 7 hours, 24 minutes, and 36 seconds. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm 24, and I don't think I could run a marathon now or anytime soon. But she, for years, starting at 76, was able to complete a marathon every year until she passed. And the funny thing was the people who know her well said that she didn't think it was a very big deal. It was just something that she did. In fact, she wasn't even going to tell them that she'd broken the record. But it was just something that she was used to doing. She said, I never thought of myself as an athlete, but I feel like running is something we just all should do naturally. She was, yeah, yeah, yeah. She was determined in her old age that she could still accomplish something, that she could still finish something. And what it teaches us is not just something about age, but something about life, that all of us, even here today, have different perspective on, perspectives on life. We all come to this church at different stages in life, some of us older, some of us younger, some of us in the middle of our lives. We have a different journey that God has put us on. In the church. That's the beautiful thing about the local church, especially, and the universal church, is that it is comprised of many different types of people people who might be similar to each other, people that might be different from one another. And Paul recognizes this as he writes to his colleague Titus. He's writing to Titus in this letter, and he's giving him instructions for how to build a healthy church. For how to establish healthy congregations on the island of Crete. And he's doing this, first of all, by teaching him how to appoint elders or pastors. What are the things that you should look for? The things in a man's life that you should evaluate. And he gives him some different qualifications for what these elders should look like. And then in the passage that we studied last week, he talks about what an elder doesn't look like or what a false teacher looks like, what someone's life looks like that does not live by sound doctrine. He calls them insubordinate. He calls them empty talkers. He calls them liars and deceivers. And he says at the end of verse 13, they are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. But now as we move into chapter 2 of Titus, 
if you felt like maybe Paul wasn't talking about you, get ready because Paul's talking about everyone now. And he starts giving Titus some instructions on how to live by sound doctrine. Remember, he's writing to Titus who wasn't necessarily a pastor, but he did establish churches on the island of Crete. He's telling them this is what leaders you should look for in those churches. But then these are the types of things you should teach to the people as well. And if you looked at the passage that Keith read for us, no one is left out. He talks about older men, how they should behave, how they should act. He talks about older women, how they should behave. And then in the passage we'll look at next week, he talks about younger men. He talks about younger women. And all of it that he is saying is trying to build to this point or this idea that I think Paul wants us to see is that we should live according to sound doctrine. That we should live according to sound doctrine. And we see that very clearly in verse 1. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. And before we get into the heart of what Paul is saying to each of these different groups of people in Titus 2, we need to figure out what does that mean to teach what accords with sound doctrine. We know, like we said, that Paul's been writing against these false teachers. They're saying, this is what they look like. Don't be like them. And now he's saying, but as for you, Titus, you had better be different. You had better behave. I can remember coming home from school and telling my mom stories of the different kids who had misbehaved and gotten in trouble in class. And she would always tell me, well, you make sure that you do the right thing. You make sure you don't hang out with those kids. You make sure that you straighten up and act right. And Paul's saying there's a lot of different false teachers in the world, Titus. There's a lot of different people that you could be like, but don't be like them. As for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Remember, we said last week that these false teachers were empty talkers. They were talking about things that didn't matter, that had no substance to them. And the things that they talked about were myths and commandments of men, these perversions of the truth, these different rabbit trails that they'd get off of that weren't really the gospel and they weren't really part of the Bible. He's saying that is what they're teaching but you, Titus, teach sound doctrine. He's saying you have a message for all of the churches on Crete, and you need to teach them sound doctrine. But he's not saying simply for Titus to teach sound doctrine. We all know what sound doctrine is. We're a Bible church. We believe that the Bible is our authority for how to live and what to believe. We have a doctrinal statement, something we all agree to, something we all believe together as a church. But Paul's not saying teach sound doctrine. He's saying teach what is fitting with sound doctrine or what accords with sound doctrine. You could say it's teaching you how to live according to sound doctrine or what flows out of sound doctrine. And what he's going to show Titus in these next several verses is a lifestyle for the church on how they can live according to sound doctrine. He's going to show older men, older women, younger men, younger women, this is how you live according to sound doctrine. This is how you have a life that's lived according to truth. You see, 
Paul recognizes something as he writes the book of Titus that we should all recognize, and that is that what you believe is going to affect how you act. There have been some professional basketball players and other professional sports figures that have recently been saying that they think the world is flat. They don't, they don't think the world is round. And then people wonder why they act crazy on the court and why they believe all these different things. And I'm like, well, it's obvious. You can tell that they're not all quite right necessarily, but they, they have some different beliefs. What you believe affects how you act. It affects the actions that you do. It affects how you live. There's some people in our world today that think God's word is not inerrant, which means they think God's word has some errors in it. And so we shouldn't be surprised that they preach things that aren't God's word, but they preach things that contradict God's word. They treat the Bible like it's one of many different sources of information, like it's a, another history textbook, that it's a good thing that you can read every day and maybe think about, but they don't take the truths of the Bible and apply them to their lives. Some believe that God won't send people to hell. That when you get to heaven one day, God's just going to let you off the hook. That a loving God wouldn't send people to a place called, called hell. We know that God, while he loves us, while he's provided a way of salvation that he offers to all people, that those who do not know Jesus Christ will be separated from him forever. There's some people who have this idea of God and of the Bible that's different than what we know the Bible teaches. What you believe affects how you live. And so Paul's saying the people in your churches had better live differently. When people come to the churches on Crete, they'd better have a different lifestyle. And so he shows these different groups of people how to live, how to behave, what their character should be, how their character can match their faith. In church, my prayer for us is that we would take these truths in the book of Titus and that we would have our lives lived according to them. That when people think of the people in our church, when our church people are out in the community, or when I hear about people going to our church, that these would be the kind of things that they say about them. So let's look at these. He divides them up into these different groups. Uh, this morning we're going to look at his instructions to older men and older women. So first of all, how do older men live in sound doctrine? How do older men live in sound doctrine? And I will say this as well, that as we look at the different age groups, obviously if you're an older man, this applies to you or this speaks to you more than it would if you're in a different age group. But all of what Paul says applies to you, each and every one of us in different ways. So even if you're not an older man, don't check out, don't wait until Paul talks about you. But first of all, think about how can you love and respect older men who live this way? How can you learn from them? Younger men, how can we find older men in our lives that live this out and learn from them? He says, older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Now, the immediate question that comes to all of our minds as we read this is, what qualifies as an older man? And I do not want to get myself in trouble this morning as I talk about this. 
especially as we get to older women as well. But an older man that Paul would be writing to was probably over the age of 50. But as he's writing to them, he's really just saying these are men who have had some life experience. And as I'm sure you know, I know some people in their 20s who act like older men. I know some people in their 60s who act like younger men, right? So I don't really pay too much attention to the age category, but rather, wherever you consider yourself on this list, Paul has something to say to you. And so first of all, he tells older men, be sober-minded, be self-controlled, be level-headed. It literally would read in Greek, unmixed with wine. Don't let your thinking or your conscience be tempered with something that would affect it. He's saying don't overindulge in something. Don't be careless with your thoughts or your thinking. Remember the Cretans were called impulsive. They were called lazy beasts. They were drunkards. They were controlled by their stomachs, as Paul says. This even made them not work at all. And Paul's saying don't be like them. Be sober-minded. Don't let your judgment be clouded. And so many people read the pastoral epistles in the whole Bible and they ask, well, is Paul saying that you shouldn't drink alcohol? And while I personally don't drink alcohol, I don't know if he's saying you can't have any alcohol whatsoever. He's definitely saying you should avoid drunkenness or it is a sin to be drunk. Is he saying you shouldn't partake of any alcohol? I don't know if I can say that is what he's saying here, but I will say this, that I think any exposure to it is unwise, that I think exposing yourself to those things that could affect your soberness or affect your clarity of mind is unwise. And as I say that, there are many in our culture today that would say, well, if it's just unwise and I can go ahead and do it, well, what does the Bible say about wisdom? that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We have far too many people in our world that do not care about what it means to be wise. And so for myself, knowing my extended family's history with alcohol abuse, I personally don't drink because I know what it could get me into. I also don't think it smells very good. So, um, But that's besides the point. Paul is saying... You shouldn't let anything cloud your judgment. And also, I believe here, that would include things like drugs as well, things that would impair your understanding. A lot of people would say, well, Paul never talks about drug use in the Bible. Well, a lot of those things weren't present back then. But as in Scripture, you see that Paul is arguing against drunkenness. What he's really arguing for is soberness is clarity of mind, this understanding, not letting anything cloud your judgment. You see, is alcohol or those things, are they sinful in and of themselves without anybody doing anything of them? Well, no, but it's what men do that abuse them. And it's what it does to their mind that is sinful. And so Paul's saying, be sober-minded, have clarity. This is the opposite of what our culture recommends for older men. When our culture pictures older men, they picture men who are 
funny and drunk out of their senses sometimes. That's what they describe in sitcoms and different cartoons that you might read and things you might see on TV. Culture recommends men who are out of their senses, and they say it's funny. Scripture says, think clearly, older men. Don't let anything cloud your judgment. Make careful decisions. Be careful what you indulge in. Be careful what you think about. What ultimately do we know helps us with clarity of mind? What ultimately shows us the way we should go? It is God's word. So be sober-minded. Don't take, don't use, don't drink anything that would impair your judgment, but rather be men of God's word. Secondly, be dignified. This means worthy of respect. A dignified man is well respected by others due to his character. Think about someone who is dignified. They are not superficial, superficial or shallow, but they should be honored. The men in Crete were not dignified, but they were called impulsive. They were called lazy, evil beasts. They had a reputation for being despicable, both in their teaching and in their lifestyle. They were not dignified. And Paul's saying you shouldn't behave this way. You shouldn't live this way, older men, but you should be men worthy of respect. And is this saying that men have to be stick in the muds and serious all the time and not able to have any fun? I don't think that's what Paul is saying at all. But rather, you should be men that younger men, younger people, women, children look up to, that they want to emulate, that are worthy of respect. This isn't saying that you should be proud. This isn't saying that you should be dismissive, but rather it's saying you should be faithful to God. You're dignified because people recognize in your life that you've lived a life of godliness and of devotion to the Lord, and they treat you with respect because of that. So ask yourself, older men, are you worthy of respect? Are you someone that other people look at and show honor to not because of anything you can do but because of the god you serve do you say things that glorify god and encourage others i had a professor in college named dr bob he was around 80 years old or so he was my pastoral studies professor my freshman year and then he retired after that and he was just a really cool guy he had been in pastoral ministry for over 50 years He had pastored several different churches that were successful. He was an excellent preacher of the Bible. He was an excellent communicator. He had all these crazy stories of things he'd experienced and done and just a really awesome guy. He was a man that was dignified, but not even for any of the reasons I mentioned above necessarily, but because he was humble, because he was a guy that was approachable. He loved mowing the grass. And so at 80 years old, a pastor of several different churches, great preacher of the Bible, I would see him every day mowing the school grass for free. Didn't take any money for it. And he would just mow the grass. Now, he didn't want to get in his way because sometimes his vision on the lawnmower is a little impaired. But you showed that man respect. 
he was a man you looked up to because he was faithful to the Lord. And you have people in your life, I'm sure, that maybe your parents told you or maybe you've told your children, you show that man respect. He is dignified. He's someone who served God faithfully. And it's not based on anything we can do, but it's based on our faith and devotion to the Lord. Older men, are you worthy of respect? Secondly, are you self-controlled? Are you self-controlled? This is something Paul gives all of the different age groups instructions on, how to be self-controlled in one way or another. It's one of his favorite words in the pastoral epistles. Maybe in your Bible it says sensible. Someone who, like being sober-minded, has a clear mind, a clear understanding, but it leads to a disciplined lifestyle. A lifestyle of discipline and control. You're wise in your actions. You make good decisions on how to live. Remember in the qualifications, Paul says he's not looking for men who are quick-tempered, who are impulsive in their decisions, impulsive towards anger. He's not looking for men who are violent or pugnacious, people who are brawlers. He's not looking for men who are greedy. The opposite of that is being self-controlled. Paul's telling Titus, teach the older men to be self-controlled. Teach them to be in control of their actions, of their emotions. Teach them not to be impulsive. We don't see this in our world today either. We see a culture that wants to gratify their desires, to gratify themselves, the things that they're lusting after. But older men, be different. Be sensible. Be self-controlled. Train yourself so that the things that you do in life, the daily habits of reading your Bible, of prayer, confession of sin, encouraging others, teach yourself to do those things so that you don't have to be reminded, but that you've disciplined yourself for godliness. Be self-controlled. And lastly, be healthy. Be healthy. I'm not suggesting that you need to watch your cholesterol or go on a diet. But he's saying be sound or be healthy. And he says that we should be healthy in some specific ways. We know that that word sound, we've seen it with sound doctrine. It means healthy or to have good hygiene. So sound doctrine is healthy doctrine, healthy beliefs. But now he's saying older men be healthy in three distinct ways. First of all, in your faith, have a healthy, uncontaminated faith in the Lord. Have a commitment to Jesus Christ that is sound, that is healthy. That others can look at and say, I want to have a faith like that man. I want to have a belief in Jesus Christ like him. We see all these false teachers that have these versions of the truth, these false commitments to Jesus. And Paul's saying, be genuine. Be healthy in your faith. I think about my grandpa who recently passed away a couple months ago. And he had a very rough life, rough start to his life where he was wild. And before he was saved, he had been in all sorts of sin. And 
But as he knew the Lord, his life began to drastically change. He began to have a deeper relationship with Christ. And as he got into his old age, he would help other men who were struggling with different problems that he had had when he was younger. And the thing I remember about my grandpa the most is his faith. He was confident that when he died, he was going to see Jesus, maybe more than any other person I'd ever met in my entire life. And in fact, he used to teach me how to drive, and I was a pretty bad driver at age 16. But as he was teaching me how to drive, we, I'd go in a ditch or something, or something would happen on the road. I was a young driver, okay? But I'd be apologizing, I'd be tripping over myself because I was so upset at what I'd done, and he'd say, Lance, it's fine. I know where I'm going when I die. I'm not worried about it. I said, well, I do too, Grandpa, but I've got a lot of life to live still, you know? But he had such great faith. And that was something that was comforting to us at his funeral, that he was a man of healthy faith. And it makes such a difference, doesn't it? That you know what kind of sound faith they have. Older men, be men of such sound faith that when you do pass away, that people are certain, that people know who you believed in. That you had such a healthy, uncontaminated faith that there is no doubt whatsoever because you will leave a legacy of faithfulness for generations to come. Be healthy in faith. Secondly, be healthy in love. Sound in faith, in love, that points back to being sound or being healthy. Both for God and for others. Older men, teach everyone else in our church, teach your families how to love God faithfully. How to be men who love God more than anything else. Older men, teach younger men how to love their wives faithfully and sacrificially. Teach us how to love others well. Be known for your love and compassion for others. Some men in our world don't want to be known for love. They think it's soft. They think it's mushy. They might not say to anyone that they love them. But older men, be sound in love for others. Be known for your sincere, compassionate love for people in your family, for people in your church, and for people in your community as well. Give things up for other people. Sacrifice of your own desires. Be healthy in your love. And then lastly, be healthy in your endurance. We normally see Paul write in his letters, he'll say faith, hope, and love. But here he talks about endurance. And I think there's a reason. The Cretans were lazy. They'd give up easily on things like work and on other different activities Paul's saying, be faithful, be steadfast to the end. Don't give up. Some people can do really well in the Christian life for anything for a while, but they burn out, they fizzle out. They don't endure. They're not steadfast. They're not faithful. But be committed when things get hard. This has the idea of sticking with something to the end. Be men of endurance, of healthy 
endurance, during trials, enduring trouble. Older men, this is what it means to live in sound doctrine. If these are the things that you say you believe, then this is how you order your life. You put these things into practice in your homes, with your families. You practice these things at work while others are watching. You teach us younger men how to live in these different ways. Be faithful to the doctrine you claim to believe, older men, and to the truths we hold dear in Scripture. And for the rest of us, the older women, younger women, younger men, we should respect and honor older men who practice these things faithfully. Not in a prideful way, not in a way that doesn't glorify God, but when you see older men who live this way faithfully, don't begrudge them, don't gossip about them, don't talk ill of them, but show respect towards these older men. They are a gift to God's church. And they are an essential part of having a well-ordered and healthy church. But older women, you are not off the hook either. Paul gives some admonitions to you as well. He gives some to all of us on how we should live. And so we see that in verse 3. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. So we come to the question again, well, what qualifies as an older woman? Like I said, I'm going to be careful here, okay? But what Paul had in mind was women who were done raising their families, whose children were older, who had left the house, which is honestly a little bit younger than we would expect. Remember, they got married at a much younger age than we do today. So these older women might have been even in their 30s or so. But what he's getting at here is there women who have had some life experience, who have raised families if they were married, if they're single, who still had had life experience. So wherever you fall on that scale, older women, these are Paul's admonitions to you. First of all, be reverent in behavior. Be reverent. This has some history in the word. It refers to some of the temples that were in Crete. The word is used to describe some of these priestesses that were devoted to the temple worship there. Now, they were worshiping pagan gods, and Paul's not saying that older women should worship idols or pagan gods. But when he talks about, when you study how they were devoted to those gods and how they would emulate them, that's where Paul is kind of borrowing some of this ideology from. What it means for us is that, older women, you devote yourself to God and to representing him well. You act and you live in such a way that represents God's character, his holiness, his purity, his love towards others. You live in a way that represents God well in your lifestyle. And the women on Crete were devoted to their pagan gods. They were devoted to these lifestyles of immorality. They were devoted to partying and all sorts of different debauchery. We know this is true even in our culture today as well, that what's prescribed for older women is 
not what we see in the Bible, but they're to be crass, they're to be rude. It's what the world recommends for older women today. But that's not what Paul tells these women. He says to be women, be older women who live reverently, who live according to God's word, who represent God well. Sure, we all have women in our lives, our mothers, our grandmothers, people in our churches, people here in this church, people in other churches, who we can look at and say they have been a faithful form of godliness in our lives. They've taught us how to live. I love when I'm teaching children and one of them is just continuing to act up and act up. And you might say to some of them, you know, I'm going to call your mother and they'll straighten up. But there's a few that I know where I say, if I'm going to call your grandma. And when you say that, they immediately start changing their behavior. Why is that? Because they know their grandma is someone who is going to straighten them up, who's going to show them how to act. Older women, be reverent in your behavior. Represent God well in holiness and purity. Be different than the culture around you. Secondly, speak graciously. Speak graciously. He says they should be reverent in behavior and not slanderers. That word for slanderers is actually the word diabolos in Greek. It's where we get the word for devil. Satan, as we know, is called the accuser or the slanderer. The person who goes to God and tells him all the sins that we've done and tries to slander us before him. And then he talks bad about God to us. Remember in the Garden of Eden, he says, has God really said, well, God just doesn't want you to eat of the fruit because he knows that you will live forever. He's saying, don't be like the devil. And what he's really saying is those women who do gossip and slander and talk bad about others, who are they acting like? They're acting like miniature devils, miniature Satans. He's not trying to call women the devil, but he is saying that when any of us slander someone else, we are acting like Satan. These women on Crete were liars, they were deceivers, they were empty talkers. Paul's saying, don't be like them. Well, what's the opposite of that? Well, speak graciously to others. Older women, be women whose speech is inspired by God, whose speech is kind towards others. Instead of bickering and gossiping and tearing each other down, be faithful to build others up as well. Is this something all of us need to learn? Absolutely, yes. But this is what Paul tells the older women in the churches in Crete. So how would your speech be known, older women? When others think about the things that you say, what are you known for saying? You might ask, well, how can I speak graciously to others? How can I live that way? Well, Ephesians 4.25 says, Therefore, having put, in, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members to one another. Instead of lying, instead of being deceitful, Paul says, speak the truth. Then in verse 31, he says, Let all bitterness 
and wrath and clamor and slander be put away from you along with malice. And in verse 32, be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Speech that builds each other up. Speech that encourages one another. Older women in a healthy church are going to be known for speaking graciously rather than tearing each other down. He thirdly tells them to be sober-minded. He says here in verse 3, they shouldn't be slanderers or slaved to much wine or enslaved to much wine. Don't let wine, don't let strong drink have a hold on you or a control over you. But he's saying older women be sober, similar to what he's already told the older men. Think clearly, think well. This was a massive problem on Crete. It's a massive problem in today's society as well. Older women today are told to drink and are told to not be sober. But Paul recommends to older women to be in control of their senses, to be stewards of their own body, to be sober-minded. Have a clear mind. Be in control of your emotions and your whole body as well. And then lastly, I could talk all day about this, but I know you guys want to eat lunch. He says to teach what is good. This is one word in Greek. A good teacher, a teacher of good. What is Paul saying here? Well, he's saying that Titus as a man, maybe a younger man like Timothy, maybe an older man, we're not sure. Titus might not be able to instruct some of the women in the church on how to be good mothers and how to be good wives and how to be good young women. That might be something he would struggle with. And to be honest, as a young pastor, it might be something that I struggle with as well. I'm not going to be the world's leading expert on how to be a good mother. You can say I'm into that. And so what is Paul telling Titus? He's saying, instruct the older women to be teachers of good. And I've had this question asked me before. I've had people say, well, you're not married, so who's going to teach the younger women how to be good mothers and how to be good wives? It's the older women. It's the older women in the church. That's God's design for his church. Is for the older women to be teaching the younger women how to live and how to act. So many times... Older people in general or just people in life can think that, that their job is done, that they don't have anyone that they need to teach. But Titus says, older women, teach younger women what is good. Teach younger women how to live. And he tells them to do that in a couple different ways. First of all, look with me at verse 4. And so to train the younger women to love their husbands and children. Older women teach younger women how to love their families well, how to be devoted to their families, how to be good wives, how to be good mothers. This is part of your role. This is part of your job in the local church. It's something that I can't personally do. It's something that Paul said you need to be doing in your church, teaching the younger women how to love their families 
well. There's so much we could get into here, but we're going to talk about this next week when we talk about younger men and younger women. Older women teach young women how to love their families well. And you might ask, well, what about single women, single older women, single young women? Well, Paul also instructs them to teach young women how to live. Look with me at the rest of verse 5. To be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their husbands. Older women, find younger women in our church, in your family, in the community around you, that you can teach how to live. And you might say, well, I don't have anything to share with them. I don't have anything they'd want to learn from me. Then be a older woman that's worth emulating. Be an older woman that is reverent, that is sober-minded, that speaks graciously, that younger women would want to learn from. Older women, God has a role for you and his church. You know, there's so many people that will ask me, why can't women be pastors? You know, why is that only something men can do is be an elder or be a pastor? Why is that something that just men can do? And I think about this, you know, women are the only people who can be mothers, who can care for children in that way. Women are the only people who can mentor women, right? Who can disciple women in ways that I as a man could never do myself. Older women, wherever you are in life, wherever God has brought you to in the life of our church, whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you have kids, whether you don't have kids, God has a plan for you. And if you're older, part of his plan for you is to teach the younger woman what is good, to teach the younger woman how to live. So are you doing these things? Are you finding younger women? Are you training them? Are you mentoring them? Not in a bossy way, necessarily. Not in a way that puts them down, but in a gracious way. Are there younger women that look at you and say, that's how I want to live my life. It does my heart good as a pastor to see things like this happening in our church, where older men are teaching younger men, older women teaching younger women how to live and I and no one else has to tell them how to do that, but you already do that yourself. Friends, this is part of how we have a well-functioning local church, a healthy church, a church that lives in sound doctrine. Older men who are living in the way that Paul's described for them, who are sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, love, and endurance. And then older women who are living according to godliness and teaching younger women how to do that as well. And so for the rest of us who aren't older women, respect, show honor to the older women who are doing these things. They are a gift to God's church. They bless our church well when they live this way and when they teach younger women to live this way as well. As we come to the end of this passage, and like I said, Those of us who are younger, we're not off the hook. We're going to talk about instructions for younger people next week. But as we look at the end of this passage, I've got a couple questions for us. First of all, older men, how are you modeling godliness for our congregation? Older men, how are you teaching everyone else how to be godly? How are you setting the standard for our church? 
older men, how are you teaching me as a younger man how to be a good man of God? Older women, how are you training younger women in godliness? What example are you giving them to follow? How are you inviting them over and showing them all that God has done for you and taught you? How are you reaching out to the next generation? Younger women, what older women are you learning from? Who are you inviting into your lives that you can be impacted by? Who do you want to emulate? Who do you want to behave like? Younger men, who are we modeling? Who are we looking after? No matter where you are, older, younger, somewhere in between, God has a plan for you in the life of our church. He has a place for you to not just sit here and observe, but to be part of serving and working together in building a well-ordered and healthy local church for the glory of God. And if you are part of that plan, if you are working hard at doing these things that, that Paul has written to Titus, then you are a blessing to this church. And I thank God for you. You're part of helping us build a healthy church here in Trafalgar.